Heavenly Father, we just thank you again, Lord. We just thank you for this place and this electricity and the aircon and just a chance to come before you, Lord. Lord, as we dig into your word, Lord, and we learn a little bit of how you would have us pray, Lord, let's speak to each one of us, Lord. Just show us more and more of who you want us to be in you, Lord. How we are to walk as Christians, Lord. What that looks like to each individual one of us, Lord. What you would have for us in our lives, Lord. So, Lord, just use this text to speak to us, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would just come through this message, Lord. And it would just speak one, just something to us, Lord, that we'd be able to walk out of here with something to apply to our weekly lives, Lord, that something that we could use to serve you more purposefully, Lord. So, Lord, I just pray your Holy Spirit would just speak to us, Lord, that your Holy Spirit's present, would you be here now, Lord. We love you, Lord. We thank you for this opportunity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Welcome again. So good to see everyone. It's kind of a big hole in the middle here. Kind of funny. (laughs) There you go. Anyway, so as we begin today's sermon... As usual, I always like to just look back. We're going to be quick today, though. Remember that as Jesus is teaching us from these last few weeks, remember that, again, that Jesus is in his final weeks before the cross. Just a few weeks ago, I was in a three-part series through John, chapter 11. We saw the main topic of that was believe, to continue to believe, even in times where they seem absolutely impossible. Then last week we saw that we were to give glory to God in all things. And this lesson was taught through the story of the ten lepers, if you remember that story. Jesus, we looked at another story. Jesus continued to teach us. He reminded us that he's coming back. And as he's coming back, we're to be looking for him to come back. We're looking for that second coming. And we're also to be ready. Now today, that was the quickest review yet, right? I know there's enchiladas coming. Today, Jesus has something else for he wants us to learn, and that is to pray with persistence. How is your prayer life? It's a question we all should ask, right? If you look and ask that question, how is your prayer life? Could it be improved? I don't know. Prayer is a form of worship. And for me, and I will be fully honest with you, is probably prayer itself is one of the things I probably struggle with the most to do. Um, maybe some of it's just how God wired me. I start praying and like five seconds later, there's some shiny thing and my mind goes somewhere else. Or maybe it's Satan and the phone rings, or maybe it's just taking the time to really just sit there and pray. Um, or it's just, I start praying and I don't fall asleep. I'm not that guy. I'm the guy that starts thinking about all the stuff I got to get done. And I start writing lists or doing something else. Um, instead of just spending that time in prayer with God, um, I do. I, I do set a specific time apart each day to pray. But I'll tell you, it's probably, if I was to look at my whole spiritual walk and as a Christian, it's probably the one thing I feel I probably struggle with the most. Um, I do pray, but I just think there could be, there's just so much room for improvement. I meet some of these great prayer warriors, and I, I tell you, I don't know if it's, all right or not all right to be a little envious of them and that prayer life that they have it's something i just struggle with so as we get into this i don't know how is your prayer life is there room for improvement we're going to look at a parable here in luke chapter 18 so if everyone's got their bibles let's open up to luke chapter 18 and we're going to look at this the first 14 verses today and we're going to get dive right in so let's just open right up to the first verse one day Jesus told the disciples a story to show they should always pray 
and never give up. Now, Jesus very often uses parables or stories to teach us, right? And sometimes the lessons as we see these different parables, sometimes that text and you read it and you're like, what is that story exactly? And it's kind of hard to maybe understand and you got to read it and maybe study it and pray to the Holy Spirit. Lord, what do you, what do you want me to learn in this parable? What does this mean exactly? What, what are you trying to teach me, right? I like this one. It's easy, right? What's it say when it starts? A story to show that they should always pray and never give up. The lesson's right there for us. We don't have to guess on this one, do we? It's right there. So that's kind of nice because sometimes it's a little more difficult to kind of see, you know, what's the interpretation? What's the, what, what, what am I supposed to learn out of this? Jesus just tells you. Simple. They, that's you, me, we should pray and never give up. Another translation says not to lose heart in your prayers. Uh, Jesus is asking us never to give up on praying to God. So that's a lesson here, right there. Now what does that look like? Not to lose heart in prayer. I was listening to Solomon. That's what it looks like. What does it look like to have a prayer life that is pleasing to God? And I'll ask another question. What are we to gain by obeying this instruction from Jesus to pray persistently? What are we to gain? Well, I can tell you what you will not gain if you don't have a good prayer life. We can always kind of start there. If we do not have a good prayer life, eventually we will start to lose heart. And I, I've experienced this firsthand. And eventually you will become discouraged in the things that you face in life. And eventually you can even come to the point of wanting to quit doing whatever God's called you to do. I can tell you from firsthand experience, if you do not have a persistent prayer life, this is what it can lead to. Now, this parable is definitely a little different as we get into it. Because most parables, they, they use parallels to teach us a lesson, right? You have like a worldly thing, and then there is a spiritual lesson inside of that. Most parables all work that way. This parable is a little bit different. And so I think we need to understand, just take a minute to understand this parable. Before we study it, we don't want to misinterpret kind of the people in it and what they mean. We don't want to misinterpret the lesson on prayer that Jesus is going to teach us. Because this parable is really using a contrast or opposites. Sharp contrast, actually, to teach us a lesson about prayer. So as we get into this, we're going to see that there is a judge. Now, then we know God. But we remember, as we look into this, this is a comparison between the judge and God. And you'll see the comparison between us and the widow. Normally, most parables are parallels. This is a contrast. So when we look at the judge, the contrast is God. The opposite is God. When we look at the widow, remember, we are the opposite of this, not a parallel. So just remember that as we look at that. Okay, let's get going here. Ready? Verse 2. There was a, cer- a judge in a certain city. He said, who neither feared God nor cared about the people. I'm going to reread that. There was a judge in a certain city. He said, who neither feared God nor cared about people. This man, this judge, very prominent position. I mean, in today's society, we, I mean, in Myanmar, in the States, or any country, we have judges. I don't know exactly how it works here, but it's very interesting. In this prominent position, this very important decision, this man had no reverence for God or man. Just think about that. This judge, basically... It would represent, his representation it would just strictly be of his own desires or of this world. Look at verse 3. 
a widow of that city came to him, repeatedly saying, Give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. This widow used in this story is a representative, a representative of the poor, the needy, the oppressed. And even today, we have you know, widows in our society, and we have a responsibility to widows even today in our church, in our society. I want to just kind of side note, I want to turn to 1 Timothy real quick and look at that. 1 Timothy 5.3. 1 Timothy 5.3, take care of any widow who has no one else to care for her. It's an important thing. I mean, it's funny, when I was back in Indianapolis, there was a, is a bigger church, and so we actually had a lot of older ladies that had become widowed. And that was one of my main callings I felt there, is just to go to these women and see just how can I help you. And I had made some of the greatest friends with these ladies. It was just really, uh, just a, it was way more of a blessing to me than I probably ever was to them. But uh, we do have a responsibility, and I think we forget that in today's church a lot. Um, I don't know about here as much, but we really do need to always remember that we do have a responsibility to the widows and to the orphans also. So imagine here, go back to Luke chapter 18. Now the courts, it's talking about the courts. Now these courts of the day were a little bit different than today. There's, in this day, I looked at, into it a lot, and they, they, in this case, it wasn't even a building. It was actually, it would have probably been held in a tent of this day. And these were Roman judges. These were not the Jewish judges. These were the Roman judges. And they would have been, in our language, we could call them circuit judges. So they would go village to village traveling. They would go for, you know, they'd spend a week in one, then maybe pack up and go to a week in another. And they would set up this tent, and they would hold court there for the people to dis- for these different disputes that were taking place. Now, when the judge was in town and you needed to get, you had a problem, you would go and you'd try to get on their list or a docket. Uh, you would, you'd want your case to be heard in front of that judge, so hopefully he would favor for you, you would hope, of course. Now, to get on that list for that judge to hear that case, you would really, you'd have to go to the assistant of the judge. Probably just like today, right? You don't actually go up before the judge, you have to go to their assistant, and if you go to their assistant, you're like, hey, I have this case. Will you put it before the judge? Can I go before the judge? And it, would have been, it was the same in this day. Now, as many of you can probably relate, in order in this time to get your case before the judge, that assistant, he's probably going to want a gift. He's going to want something from you, some kind of financial gift, before he would ever probably take your case before that judge. And in this story, we're talking about a widow, Remember? A widow that's trying to get justice and have her case heard. Because of this, she automatically had three problems if she wanted to get before that judge. First problem this woman had is she was a woman. And in these times, a woman had no legal standing in that society. Second problem I had, she was a widow. So she didn't have a husband to go and speak for her in this situation. Then the third part, being a widow, she didn't have any money. And so she was not going to be able to pay the proper people to get her case heard before the judge. Because if you didn't have money, you were not going to get your case heard. So we can see she was going to have a lot of trouble to make her case. In order to seek justice, the only thing she had to really offer to try to get her case heard was her persistence. To keep trying, to keep trying. Now, as you see this woman, she's persistently trying to put this case behind his judge. The question I want to ask you is how are we like the widow before God. Think about that. Just think about that question, but remember how to interpret this. Let's look at verses 4 and 5. 
The judge ignored her for a while, but finally he said to himself, I don't fear God or care about people, but this woman is driving me crazy. I'm going to see that she gets justice because she is wearing me out with her constant request. Interesting. This judge ended up giving in to this woman's requests. Now, not because he was a good-hearted man or wanted to seek justice, because she, he was just tired of this woman bothering him. That's it. That's the only reason. Now, Jesus is using this comparison here, or this contrast. The widow and us, the judge and him. And I ask you that question, right? What do we have in common with the widow? Or what does God have in common with the judge? Don't misinterpret this. Remember, this parable is one of contrast. We are nothing like the widow. And that's the point of this. And God is nothing like the judge. And we'll look through this as we go. Jesus is telling us, look closely at this story. And we, there's, a lot of, there's an important lesson we can learn from this. Verse 6. Then the Lord said, learn a lesson from this unjust judge. Jesus is telling us, look closely at this. Verse 7. Even he rendered a decision in the end. So don't you think God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? Remember, contrasts. The widow was a stranger to the judge. She had no connection to that judge. But we are children of God. It's a comparison. Here's another fact. The widow had no access to that judge. We have full access to God through Jesus Christ. You see, there's a big difference here. You're seeing that we are the chosen people. We are God's children. Very different from this story in the widow and the judge. And unlike the judge, God is concerned with all of us in our needs. So look at the question. Will he keep putting them off? Let's see Jesus' answer. Look at verse 8. I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. But when the Son of Man returns, how many will we find on the earth who has faith? As we look at this parable, we can interpret that this is, again, an interpretation. But it's a contrast between these different things. And what we've got to look at is what is the response of our righteous God? And how much more will he respond to our prayers, to our persistence prayers? And how much will God, who loves to hear hear our prayers, his children, he will delight to answer them, unlike this judge. Jesus instructs us here through this parable that we should be persistent in prayer. And this is how we communicate with God. But what does that look like? What does persistent prayer look like? How do you pray with persistence? It's not saying prayers with endless repetition. Just saying the same prayer over and over and over again. Hoping if I ask a thousand times, maybe he'll answer it. It's not what he's talking about here. It's not praying with like painfully long prayers. You know, I'll pray for two or three hours. I'll just keep praying uh, until God answers me. I believe Jesus to be persistently in prayer is to be consistently in contact with God. To be hearing from him consistently. To be able to talk to God day and night. And to have a conversation with him like he's standing there with you today. Thank him. For all he's done for you. Let him know what's on your heart. Let him know what your needs are each day. And whenever you think of a situation during the day or you see something, maybe you see something beautiful, if it's a sunset or you see a need out there, just talk to God. I think that's what it means to be persistently in prayer, is to be consistently and constantly in prayer each day. So let's look 
verses 9 through 10. We're going to look at a little different, another different parable. Then Jesus told the story of someone who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, and the other was a despised tax collector. Now, as we see these men come to the temple to pray, what was the answer? Why must we pray? We talked about it. You guys remember why we must pray? And again, I asked how your prayer life was. I also want to know that when we pray, and I asked myself this question, and it's kind of a difficult question to ask. When I pray, do I pray for God's will to be done? Or are my prayers really for God to grant me my will to be done? I mean, it sounds like, oh, of course not. But I thought about it, and I looked at my prayers the last few days, and I'm going to tell you, a lot of my prayers are, Lord, give me this, give me that, provide for me for this, uh, help me in this situation. I'm not saying that's all bad, but am I really praying for God's will in my life in this? And saying, Lord, this situation is yours. Just do with it. Take this situation, Lord, and let me just see your hand inside of it. Or is it like, Lord, help me in this. Resolve this situation. I don't know. It's a difficult. I had to ask myself, do I worship God in prayer? Let's look at these two different prayers that's looking at here. Let's start with the first one. Verses 11 through 12. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I am not like other people. Cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I am certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give you a tenth of my income. You see a common word there? What word do you see? I, 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 I. It's in there five times. This Pharisee's prayer was informing God, and I'm sure if anyone else listening, how righteous he thought he was. This religious leader, he had the wrong idea of prayer. There's no doubt. He was telling God, look how awesome I am. Look at all that I do. He believed because of his works, before God, he was righteous. Now this Pharisee, he wasn't seeking justification before God because he felt no need of it because of his works. He felt he was justified through his works. and He wanted God to know about it and everyone else possibly that was listening. You know, this really wasn't a prayer at all, was it? I think this man was just coming before God just trying to justify to God that he was righteous. That's not really a prayer. It's really easy that you look at this man to think how awesome you are when your standards are based on men. You look at this guy's prayer, it was all based on comparing himself to another man. Look at me compared to that person. Look at me compared to that person. Look what I do. Look what I do. When Jesus is our measuring stick, that changes quickly. Very quickly. Now, let's look at this other man's prayer. Look at verse 13. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, O God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. This tax man knew he had a big problem. He knew he had a sin problem. And his prayer was simple, to plead and beg God for forgiveness and for mercy. That was his only plea for this great need that he had. I looked. At, I want to turn to Ezra, kind of an odd one. Let's see if I can find it here. I marked it because I tell you honestly, I wouldn't be able to find it on my own here. Ezra, it's about a quarter of the way through your Bible here. Ezra 9. There's a prayer here that's really awesome. We're not going to read the whole thing because it would be really long. But Ezra 9, 
The prayer starts at basically first five, goes all the way to the end of the chapter. But I'm not going to read the whole thing now. But this is an amazing prayer, another example of a, just an amazing prayer. So I'll start halfway through verse five, nine. I fell to my knees and lifted my hands to the Lord, O God. I prayed, O my God, I am utterly ashamed. I blush to lift my face to you, for our sins are piled higher than our heads, and our guilt has reached to the heavens. This is a person that's praying to God in desperation. As this tax man, this tax collector also was praying, knowing that he was a sinner and he was in the need of a Savior. And that was his only plea. Let's turn back to Luke chapter 18. And let's see Jesus' response to these two men's prayers. Verse 14. I tell you this, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. This Pharisee's pride had condemned him, but the tax collector's humble faith had saved him. But if you look at this, both of these men believed they were not like other men. This story of two men, this is a story of two men, but I think most of us, I know me, at some point in my life can relate to either one of these men. I've had, at some point, some point in my life I've struggled with a little bit of pride, a little bit of self-righteousness. All right, it's not some point, probably this week. I'll be very honest. I mean, it's something I struggle with. Maybe not some of you, but I struggle with pride. I struggle with seeing achievements and saying, wow, look at that. Not saying, wow, look at what God did sometimes. I have to be so aware not to be that Pharisee. Not to say, look, look what I do. Look what I've done. Because I know that self-righteous heart, it leads to pride. And pride leads to a separate us from that relationship that we have with God. We've got to be so careful because it just so easily can sneak into our lives. I mean, one way, I, it, it, for me, is when it sneaks in is when something's going good in my life. It's funny. It's really sad. When things are good in my life, my prayer life probably isn't usually that good. Yet, when things are going all astray, I'm super spiritual and praying all the time. Um, obviously, it's not quite right that way, is it? We've got to watch our achievements. Claiming them as our own will lead to pride, lead from separating us from God. Now, there's been times where I've been, as hum- these two prayers we looked at, that one we looked at at Ezra, then one we looked at the tax collector. There's been times in my life where I'm that humbled right before God, and just all I got to say is, I'm a sinner, save me, Lord. What a place to be. What a place of just surrender. Um, just know that you're just a sinner, and here I am, Lord. Please forgive me and just grant me mercy. Now, this surrendered prayer that this tax collector gave, this is what made him righteous before God. So the question I have for everyone today is how do you pray? Or how did you come to church today? Or how are you going to live your life each morning? Which of these two men's example are we following? It's a difficult. I struggle with it, I admit. And prayer isn't easy. It's one thing I have learned. Prayer is not easy at all. It actually takes work. Maybe that sounds strange to some, but I'll tell you right now, prayer takes work. It is not easy. Satan will try to prevent you from your relationship, from you talking to God, from you spending time with God in any which way he can. He will throw so many distractions at you. He will try anything to break that relationship between you and God. 
And sometimes we're not even convinced of the power of prayer. We pray and it just, whoop, okay, I said my prayer, now I'm out with my day. We're not really convinced how powerful prayer is in our prayer life. Jesus' encouragement here is to never give up. Don't lose heart. We must always remember who we're praying to. As we close up this sermon, I just want to kind of end with two little tiny stories or two quotes. Here's the first one. This is from Warren Worsby. It means to make prayer as natural to us as our regular breathing. Unless we are sick or smothering, we rarely think about breathing. We just do it. Likewise with prayer. It should be the natural habit of our lives, the atmosphere in which we constantly live. It's quite the place to attain to, that prayer life there. When we pray by faith, we need to always pray by faith, never giving up. There is times where God, we don't know the answers, we don't see the answers, or maybe God's delaying the answers. But we need to trust the Lord in this. As we are persistent in prayer, we will grow in our character, our faith, and our hope. Another one said, I don't know if some of you understand this analogy, but it I tell you, should I stand you? Because it happens at my house all the time. Doorbell ditching. I have a doorbell at my house, a bell, and the kids run by and they hit, they hit, they ring the bell, they ring the bell, and then I go out there and they run off. It happens in the states. It used to. I don't think it happens much anymore, but it definitely happens still here to Myanmar. Both houses I've lived in, I I have it happen all the time. The kids run by and they ring the doorbell and they hear it and they laugh and I watch them run off. Let's not do that same behavior in our prayer life. As one said, said, never, don't pray, hit that button to call the Lord, and then run off before he answers. That was Spurgeon that said that. He said, don't ring that door, don't call the Lord, don't call on the Lord, and then run off before he has a chance to answer your prayers. God will answer your call if you are faithful. Don't be a doorbell ditch prayer. When we pray, I I don't believe it's, we are to pray persistently. But I don't think it's as important of how we pray or the words that we pray. The fact is that we come to God. And we come to God with his correct heart, that humbled heart that we see in this tax collector. That we come as this man come and just saying, Oh Lord, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. And then we can continue that prayer. Oh Lord, help me to pray. I want to end with a verse in Romans. Romans twelve twelve. Romans twelve twelve. Where are you, 12? Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. Me being here in, in Myanmar, we have, as I listened to Solomon, it just touched my heart because he's been through 10 times worse than anything I've faced the last six months. And I hear his heart. And I hear him after he's walked through this, his wife literally gets robbed. She's walking in the street, gets all their money stolen and her phone. And he's up here praising God and just thanking him. This is what persistent prayer can lead to. Because without that connection with God, these things can happen to us and we can just give up. We can say, Lord, obviously this isn't working. I just can't do this anymore. We'll lose hope. It's through that persistent prayer, being in constant contact with God, that we will stay steadfast in what he's called each one of us to do. And I tell you, this is coming from my heart. I'm the my prayer life could improve greatly. Um, and I've read books on it. I've worked on it. This is not something that's like this year thing. I mean, this is something through my entire Christian walk. I've always felt my prayer life could always improve. Um, maybe 
I'll never reach that place where I go, wow, my prayer life is great. I don't know. But I do know that I always can spend more time with God. I do spend through his word. I study God's word a lot. I spend it there. But when it comes to prayer, and I, there's so many different ways you can pray. You can pray as you're reading through the, God's word. You can pray as you tell him about your day. You can pray scripture. You can, uh, as you go through, uh, you pray for your food. I mean, we, I mean, I can't tell you how many times I actually pray, but is it time where I just sit there and just talk to God? That's hard for me, just because it just it's hard for me. But I know that's where, if I'm going to fail, that's where it's going to come from. It's just that I'm going to, that, that relationship with my Savior needs to be strengthened. So I just pray for everyone. I'm going to pray for everyone. If the worship team could come up and we got another song and then we got some wonderful food today. And the message is pretty simple. Pray with persistence and humility. Um, didn't have to read too far deep into that uh, parables to see that's what the lesson was in it. But also as you look at that, look at the opposites because that's what it was. It was a contrast. It was a contrast between two people praying, one Pharisee, one tax collector. There was another contrast between God and the judge. And there was also between the widow and us. So as you see all them contrast, basically you see the widow that had no connection. We have that connection through Jesus. So you see the judge that didn't care. We have God who would have gave, it, who gave his only son. And as you see the tax man and the Pharisee, we see the contrast of how we're supposed to come to God with a humble heart. So please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we continue our worship this evening, Lord, I just pray that you continue just to, your Holy Spirit, just to pour out on us, Lord. And if there's some of us, even myself, Lord, that our prayer life is we, what we feel it shouldn't, it, it should be better, Lord. We should be talking to you more. But we should be talking to you just not in a repetitious way or, Lord, I got up this morning and I said my prayers. But, Lord, we should be talking to you just like this amazing relationship that we have with you, this amazing connection that we have with you, Lord. That, Lord, we just, I, I pray, Lord, for myself, Lord, that this would improve, Lord, that I would take time. And, Lord, I just pray for your protection on my prayers. Lord, protect my prayer life. Because I'm... I know, Lord, every time we pray, Satan's after us. So, Lord, I just pray for everyone here as we lift our voices to you, as we talk to you, Lord, that you would just send your angels around and your Holy Spirit around, Lord. Just protect us. Just take that time, Lord, that we would take that time just to be with you, Lord, just to honor you and love you. So, Lord, as I, we continue with a little worship and some food and some fun, Lord, Lord, we just, uh, we just pray for your presence, Lord. Jesus name amen